0: This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers. That would be a great podcast, just the Teeming with Microbes podcast, where Jonathan just agrees with Jeff. That's right, Jeff. <laughs> Fine point, Jeff. Thank you yeah, for that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> we should get a s-
1: series of soundtracks <laughs> so that if- I don't even have to be here. Well, that's a great idea. (laughs) You know, we can do it through a chat GPT. (laughs) Chat GPT,
0: Jonathan, into the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening. We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the Lord of the Roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. So Jeff, when I look outside, it looks a lot different than it did just a week or two ago.
1: Right. It is a lot different.
0: Yeah. And we're starting to get our first frosts here. It's... uh, you know it's very close to the end. Brussels sprouts are hanging in there, we got some carrots hanging in there, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the most part uh stuff's put to bed.
1: Yeah, it's it's it definitely is the end of the season. And I remember when we were talking about the beginning of the season, what was going on back then. And we talked about the fact that the soil food web was in full operation and and just to remind listeners, we talked about the idea of taking Uh, these exudates that the plant produces and dripping them into the soil. The plant does that and it attracts what it needs. So the marigold attracts one set of bacteria and fungi and the broccoli attracts a different set of of microbes, whatever they need, because they in turn get eaten and pooped out uh, in nutrient form. And so that's what's going on in the soil in the springtime. And it's all run by the sun and photosynthesis making these exudates. And we talked about other stuff. We also talked about the rasophagy cycle where bacteria, some of these bacteria that are attracted to the root, move into the plant and fix nitrogen inside the root and cause root hairs to form. All that stuff happens in the springtime. What's going on now? That's the question.
0: So you're saying that basically the soil food web has a series of of seasons like the seasons above, above the soil, right? There's seasons where it's really cranking along when the sun is plentiful. And, and, and then the opposite season, it's it slowed way down and is maybe in more of a survival mode.
1: Right. That's what I'm saying. That for every season, there is a microbe, I guess, or something like that. But poetry. I That's poetry. Yeah.
0: That, that, that would, belongs yeah. on the back of a napkin.
1: Or in the in Bible, perhaps, but but yes. So there is, yeah. And and you get you, obviously the exudates are attracting the microbes, and the microbes are living off of this uh, exudate in one form or another, either either directly or having ingested them. They in turn are ingested by other members of the soil food web. And now we get to the point where a lot of our plants don't have chlorophyll. They're not producing exudates, and so they're not attracting the microbes the way they were in the springtime. Now, that's not to say they're not there, and that's not to say that they will be there as winter progresses.
0: So, when you have a chunk of soil that freezes solid, yeah, right, and and maybe here in in Alaska, some different winters you get different levels, but in some, you know, we could get two, two and a half feet where the soil just completely freezes. Right. So I know the answer from reading your books, Mm -hmm. but what happens, tell us what happens to that microbial activity when it all freezes.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it depends on what the microbe happens to be. Uh, So let's start with bacteria. The bacteria uh, either go dormant because bacteria have a funny kind of membrane. The cellular membrane in a bacteria doesn't, it, it can freeze. It must stretch or something, but but it can. the bacteria can freeze and the membrane s- still works. And so, so bacteria sometimes stay alive. Uh, some of the bacteria form a, a zygote, they go dormant. Some are working and some aren't working. But obviously, they're not being attracted by exudates that are coming out of the plant uh, because the plant isn't producing exudates. Now, some of the fungi or fungi, depending on how you want to pronounce it, I thought we settled that. I think we settled that.
0: Don't open that can of worms again. Okay, yeah, we did. We We settled that.
1: I know. I'm just, I want to make sure that Evan's (laughs) listening. Fungi. But but some of them, the mycorrhizal fungi, you know, they stay attached to the plant. They're they're not going to, they don't run away just because it gets cold. They're just not really operating at an efficient efficient level. And then there are other fungi that are out there that are just decomposers, the saprophytic fungi. And so depending on what the layer of frost is, in other words, how deep it is, and depending on what the mulch layer is above the soil, and depending on how much snow we get, tells you pretty much... Mm-hmm whether these guys are going to be active or not. The snow and the mulch, the organic mulch, which includes compost and the leaves, really serve as a good insulation. And so a month into winter, there will still be good microbial activity going on down there, and even right at the root zone, uh, you'll have a lot of a lot of activity. Now, a lot of it, a lot of it is eating up some of the roots that are going to die. They're dead. They're not going to come back. The annuals, etc. They begin to decompose, etc. So, so you get all that stuff, and then you get the bigger guys that eat the littler guys. So, you know, pick one. Worms. Let's take worms. Uh, depending on where you live the worms can burrow down below the frost
0: and the nematodes and the some of the bigger critters right they'll go deeper
1: well some will i'm talking about the big worms let's talk about the nematodes in a minute but the big worms some of them like night crawlers they can go way down there and they have all sorts of organic material down there in their den- and 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 the other worms the red wiggler kind of worms that we have you know that most people have in their gardens not usually the night crawlers Those red wriggler type worms, they lay eggs Uh, and those eggs, you know, they're they get like a little cocoon and they can survive being buried in the soil, whereas the worm itself generally does not. Now, I know what you're about to say. You're about to say, yeah, but what about those ice worms? (laughs) (laughs) We have a worm that lives in the snow up here in, in glaciers. And every now and then you'll be out cross country skiing or, or snowshoeing or doing something silly in the snow. And you'll see little teeny worms. And those are actual real worms that take cover in the snow and use the snow as an insulation. But you raised the question in nematodes. You know, some of the nematodes stick around. They're the parasitic ones that live inside perennial roots, form these little knots they they may have enough insulation in that little in that little zone the other nematodes you know they're active for a little while but ooh they freeze uh, and they die so you know they've got to figure out ways to survive uh and like the fungi you know they they either burrow into someplace or they lay an egg
0: basically but back to the ice worms really quick ice worms are if I I think I'm right are, not found everywhere, right? No, they're not. Yeah, they're only found in I think in Alaska and maybe British Columbia. Um right. I could and be they're wrong like about those that. frogs.
1: They're, they're like the frogs, they have an antifreeze.
0: And so are they eating? We should do a whole we should do a whole segment on this sometime. Are are they eating um, the same things that a nightcrawler is eating or a red wiggler? Are they doing but are and how are they surviving in the ice? Are they eating bacteria right. that's in the ice? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that's exactly what they they eat. They, I love you know, learning. Bacteria. Every time
0: I talk to, you, I learn something.
1: <laughs> they love bacteria. You know, worms eat bacteria and and uh, fungal spores, and they eat uh, paramecia, You know, protozoa. Uh, they don't really care about that leaf that goes through the body and comes out as great soil at the other end. Uh, so yeah, they're they're very very interesting. Is they, and they're part of the soil food web. And so the soil food web. Well, th- then you got things like um, daddy long legs. I was walking around today because I, I, I've got this thought in my mind based upon something I read that this time of year, if you find a daddy long leg, count his legs, they probably don't have eight. They lose a couple of legs during the season, either to predators or just stupidity. You know, they get caught someplace.
0: I thought you were going to say war.
1: Well, they might go through war. Their own war. But- yeah. But but they they congregate this time of year in groups, uh, you know, and they breed, uh, and they and they also lay eggs that they bury in the soil so that they're able to you know keep a temperature uh, during during the whole winter. But if you look carefully at a daddy long legs at the end of the season, and you see several, you know, undoubtedly at least one will not have all eight legs not a useless piece of information, but I no, just don't know that,
0: that out. and the ice worms were full of um, people. This should be a cure for insomnia at some point. But, <laughs> um, no, it's so interesting. And and back to the nematodes then that, that's the thing is this sort of food chain. Yeah. Just like the food chain above the surface that we're, you know, goes through seasons and the microbes and, and the bacteria and the fungi, they all have to figure out a way to adapt. To what's happening in their season right whether it's go deeper find a new source of food freeze you know in place and try to survive or uh,
1: associate with another another it, organism
0: you're right yeah. exactly yeah. Or, or cling on to something else it's, it's fascinating that especially in a climate where we live now Climate where we live, there's 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 plenty of places around the planet that freeze, um, you right, know, that sure. the ground freezes. But there's plenty yeah. of places that don't. And so, if you live in a place where the the ground doesn't have a hard frost and stays malleable throughout the year, you are still having a significant seasonal change in your soil based primarily on the amount of photosynthesis that you're getting,
1: right? Wait, so, if well, you live in
0: northern latitudes in Washington or Oregon yeah. or Montana, you have yeah. a very different activity in your soil. In say uh you know October or November than you did in April or May.
1: That's right. The the micro in terms of the microbiology, and as a result of the microbiology, you you know, the bigger guy eats the littler guy, et cetera, et cetera. So, or the little guy gets eaten by the bigger guy. And so, you know, because you can also get great shifts as a result of temperature, obviously, moisture, wind, all of these things have a, have a phenomenal impact. But think about all the stuff that's inside that. Uh, marigold. Let's just take a marigold or sunflower, or something of this sort. You know, and it, it it loses all of that green chlorophyll. Things drip into the soil. Eventually, of course, the entire plant itself is on the ground, and so the nutrients are going back into the ground. And during the winter months, there is a tremendous amount of decay. We 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 always talk about this, and I'm always astonished how much more decay in the winter time than during the summer. Now, maybe here partly because we have a nine month winter, but really it's because there's just so much activity going on and it makes sense. It makes sense because you and I haven't fertilized our lawns in how many years? We haven't, I mean, who fertilizes trees when you get right down to it? There may be instructions on the internet and you may see tree spikes that you can stick in your lawn, but I guarantee you that 99% of the people listening to this podcast, have never fertilized a tree nor ever thought about fertilizing a tree because the leaves do all the work for them. Nobody walked into the
0: redwood forest or the Chugach forest and dropped a bunch of, you know, 12, 12, 12 on the ground.
1: Right. And And it's basically because of what happens in the soil food web in the winter months.
0: Hey there, gardeners. Do you really know what's in the compost and soils that you buy? You don't have to second guess with number two organics farm-made compost that's 100% finished, topsoil with up to 17% organic matter, and a fantastic premium organic potting soil that has one-third of our compost in it. You can trust Number Two because it's made in partnership with Malibu Compost. Ask your local retailer to contact us at number2organics.com. There's a new garden store here I wanted to check out today.
1: Right on. Where is it at?
0: Yeah, it's just right around the corner. Oh Oh
1: my... Whoa, those leaves, that soil, those fruits. This is the most beautiful plant I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, she must use Bigfoot microbes. You can find Bigfoot microbes at Daisy Supply in their Oregon locations, Medford, Canyonville, and their California locations in their Keta, Willow Creek, Redway, and Garberville. And as always, on Amazon. So when things freeze and they, they, kind of shut down. There's not a lot happening down there. That's really the best time for us just before it freezes. It's so important to get that food back in place so when it warms up again, mulch, compost, chop and drop, because in our climate, we want that food there for when that biology wakes up, so to speak, in the soil. We have a little bit more work to do than other climates because we've got to sort of have the buffet ready, so to speak, for when things start to melt. And it always surprises me how visually when I look out in my yard, it still seems ice locked and frozen, but I can always find little pockets where the sun has a little bit more impact over here than it does over there and how workable the soil can be. And and that just is just where the life, you know, the the biology comes to life in the spring.
1: Yeah. And then if you even slow it down even more, you've got rock that's got water in it, you know, a little crack just on the surface, just a little surface water. And it gets into a little crack in the surface, freeze thaws, freeze thaws every night. And it makes that little, chips away that rock and pretty soon that rock turns into sandy kind of it's the beginning of soil and it's and the microbes jump in there and aid the chemistry that's also going on and so so all of this stuff happens and if you've laid down the foundation in the fall this stuff some of it's going on all winter long and certainly in the in the springtime you get more and more and more of it it's just it just sets everything up and when you think about it you're not doing any more work than using a chemical fertilizer. You're doing way less. Yeah, and I'll so, go back.
0: I, I, I would amend what you said, where we haven't fertilized our lawns with store-bought fertilizer, but we fertilize no, no. our lawns every year by leaving the leaves and, exactly right. and letting things decay. Yeah, I sit corrected. Yes, it's, <laughs> it's corrected.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, but, but again, it's a foreign concept. Even people who don't understand the soil food web just naturally adapt. You know, my father had no idea what the soil food web was, uh, but he, but he, he knew his trees didn't need to be fed if, if there were leaves around and it just makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense.
0: So we start to move things inside and I, I've brought a bunch of stuff into my greenhouse to kind of, you know, enjoy it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You can already see the, right. The, my fuchsia, you know, mm-hmm. it, it should be, it's warm in the greenhouse, but right. there's just not as much light. There's not as much available light for the these things to really thrive. Tomatoes are all but done. All the vegetables are all but done. But, man, it's a weird year. The daisies are still kind of going crazy. Mm-hmm. I actually had one of my big sunflowers that just started blooming a week ago mm-hmm. <laughs> with all the, the temperatures. So they're still plants are still pumping things into the soil even now, right, up until yeah, the bitter if,
1: if, That's right. If it's green and y- is, you've got photosynthesis going on, there are exudates being produced. The plant just knows, based probably upon the the amount of light that it's getting, I mean the number of hours, uh how know, adjust that exudate for what's coming. Uh and that's that's an amazing thing about plants. Again, they can't they don't have feet, they can't jump up and run away, and they gotta prepare, and that's what they're doing now. But but you mentioned the things that you bring in, they're having the same kind of soil food web that's been going on all summer. But there's stuff that's already in your house, like that that uh, you know non-tuberous begonia or the or the ficus plant or the you know the palm uh, that that's they too operate if you do it right off the soil food web. And this blows a lot of people's mind. They think you've got to fertilize with a chemical or something synthetic your house plants because how could there be a soil food web in there? But there is. If you
0: treat it well, but if you have a house plant that you've been napalming with, you know com- chemicals, you probably don't. But if you're following, you know these these principles that we advocate, you you certainly do. But and it's not too late to start. And so this time of year, if you've got some house plants that you want to enjoy over the winter. And you've been listening to this podcast. Right. Bring in some compost, you know, cover the, the couple top inches of your house plant. If you have to repot it, make sure you get some good biology into the plant. Use, you know, good microbe food to get those things reestablished. N- never a better time than the present to get your house plants on the track, too.
1: Really? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. My, my uh, uh, lovely wife was talking about, about some oat, oatmeal, not cooked oatmeal, but oats and oatmeal, uh, really old, uh, and see what? We, what can we do with it? I said, "Well, that's great houseplant fertilizer. That's a strange thing to put down on 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 houseplants, wouldn't it?" Mold? No, nah, you, you just you put it down, not, not too thick. Uh, if you put a little compost over there, yes, you'll get some fungi growing. But that fungi is the fungi that's breaking down the oatmeal flake and and turning it into really great. Uh, nutrients uh for the plants I mean and for the microbes and and thus the plants uh so people need to sit back in the wintertime and and think about the fact that they also have a soil food web in their house plants and if they don't they should maybe an inch of compost is all you need um you can also put mulch down if you wanted to you could actually put some leaves down anytime a dead leaf falls off of uh you know my ficus I I it up and put it right on on the soil so that's that's a great way to go okay uh, and to maintain the soil food web indoors uh, you know is as important as it is to maintain it outdoors Every
0: time we do this I I'm right keep my list here that's another episode house plants there's a full podcast coming in the future folks you heard it here.
1: No, we'll talk about houseplants all winter long because it's, it's quite the fad. But, but we've got to make sure that, that we're talking to people that are using a soil food web method. It's the only way to grow plants. Uh, you know, whether you want to call it regenerative agriculture, uh, you know, there are all sorts of different names for it. It's soil food web gardening.
0: Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers has been a partner of organic gardeners for more than 40 years with a full range of OMRI-listed and organic-approved products featuring a wide variety of premium organic blends and a diverse selection of single-ingredient inputs. Down to Earth is dedicated to using the highest quality natural ingredients available, including marine proteins, natural minerals, and biological soil additives. Down-to-Earth all-natural fertilizers can be found nationwide in independent home and garden centers. So you should ask your retailer for down-to-earth products. Look for that compostable box or find us at downtoearthfertilizer.com. Jeff, people have questions and we have answers. Well, you have answers and I butcher the questions. That's kind of our role. That's what I'll do here. So uh, remember, folks, if you have questions for the podcast Send them to us and we will do our best to answer them, especially this winter. We know you have questions about soil food web, teaming with nutrients, teaming with microbes. <clears throat> send them our way and we'll we'll do our best to uh, where, where
1: are they supposed to send?
0: <laughs> teaming with microbes at me.com. You win.
1: Well, you got it. You got oh, it. Oh
0: man. Pressure. <laughs> it was. usually I usually wilt in the pressure. Um, I had a question a friend sent to me uh, that I thought was a good one. Um, she sent it to me. Mary, uh, in in Kenai, really loves her peonies and was curious about this particular flower this time of year. Should we be cutting all the material? She'll be be she'll be cutting them down to the stems, or just let them die back and let those flowers. Let those uh, stems and everything die back onto the
1: plant. Wow, that's a real controversial question. You know, the, I think the peony association would say you cut them back down to the ground and you remove the material and you get it as far away from the garden as you possibly can. Uh, in fact, I have a friend who's a peony farmer, and that's that's what he does uh, uh, on his farm. I, on the other hand, am a big believer that the goodies that are in the leaves and are in the stems will move down into the, the tuber, basically that is the peony. Is the peony a tuber or is it a corn? Yeah, it goes down into the bulbous structure uh, uh, the, you know that the stays when everything else dies. And so if you cut the stuff back too early, uh, I think you miss that benefit. I also think that if you've got a good soil food web system going in your garden or on your farm, I might add, and it's sometimes tougher on a farm because you have a monoculture crop. Uh, but in any case, you don't have that in, in your in your house in your home and outside in your yard. Uh, you can clean it up in the spring. That's that's how I would go.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll just tell you I've uh, I jumped headlong into the controversy because i i love my peonies and i've got a nice little row of them Mm -hmm. and so a couple years ago i experimented i have seven in the front yard that are Mm -hmm. in a great spot i let three die back naturally and i cut three uh, and i cut the other four Mm -hmm. and noticed zero difference and i know a lot of people especially if you live in a place where you're not going to get some snow yeah you know it, it might become unsightly you might not like the way they look Or you might
1: like the way they do look.
0: Or maybe you do, right? It adds some structure to an otherwise barren yard. But um, I've heard a lot of people, same thing. My guess is because they don't spread as much as other flowers do, maybe up here, that the theory is that you want all that energy, I'm using air quotes, stored for next year. Right. But... Long before humans came along, unless there was a deer or a moose or something, <laughs> nobody was cutting back peonies. Good point. You know, nobody was cutting them back in the wild, even though they've evolved and been cultivated, right? So, Good point. Uh, Unless there's a real reason that you're breeding them or you're, you're doing something special for them for next year, mm-hmm. just experiment. It, it, they're going to flower any either way, but there's going to be a lot of other factors that impact your peonies than just cutting them back or not. That's been my experience.
1: Yeah, and I think people, people, you know, when this advice was codified, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they were worried about viruses and brown spots on leaves and things like that. Again, if you've maintained a good soil food web, you, you're not going to end up that. It's interesting that you raise uh, a question about peonies because uh, Mary should understand, so should everybody who grows peonies, that they produce next year's stalks and flowers from an eye, like a potato. And right. so they're a tuber and and those eyes need to be at a certain soil level and when you add mulch on top of that soil on top of the eyes you're basically burying the eyes deeper and if you put too much mulch on uh, you end up with the eye too deep and you don't get uh, you don't get as good or as much flowering uh, from those peonies so in the springtime when you do clean up some of that dead stuff uh you drop drop it as you as you say uh chop and drop you want to remove some of the mulch in a circular area around the peony stalks so that you got the eye at, at the right level
0: love it so that's good but experiment experiment yeah. Um, another one, I got a text from Bob and Linda. I know Bob pretty well. Don't know Linda that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I know the answer to this. I'm going to give it a shot. I- I'll be willing to let you embarrass me if I'm wrong, because <laughs> I'm wrong I would, a lot. I would they want could. to know, they always hear, why do carrots get sweeter? Or, Is it really true that carrots are sweeter after the frost? You know, if you let a carrot go, I- I've harvested carrots last year when there was an inch of snow on the ground on the on the garden bed and they were maybe the uh, one of them or two of them the, the tops had gotten a little weird color but the carrot was itself and it's true carrots do get sweeter or maybe they're perceived to get sweeter um and i think it's because they've developed this this sort of built-in uh, mechanism against freezing and they convert their starches to sugars right mm-hmm And that also helps create like a a, a system where they can't freeze, where the actual root Hmm. cannot freeze. And then you end up, you know, eating a sweeter root.
1: Hmm. Makes sense. I'm not, I I don't really know, frankly, it makes sense. I do know that carrots uh, in the beginning were, were considered a dessert. Uh, carrot cake and all that kind of stuff. What's that old,
0: yeah, you hear people refer to candy carrots. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. But but I also agree with you that they tend to get sweeter as it gets cooler. It's the same thing with Brussels sprouts. Probably uh, th- they're taking up the 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 nutrients out of the other green parts of the plant, uh, and they're creating sugars. In the case of 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 underground, they probably are converting starch into sugars in order to be able to maintain a life.
0: Hold on. I'm taking a show idea. Carrot expert. Okay. Ooh. Got that one in there. Yeah. Um, our friend Linda, uh, the retired teacher who is mm-hmm. an experienced gardener and friend of the show, uh, listened to some of our answers last week and wanted to know, where do you even find crab meal? You talked a lot about crab meal uh, as, as a, a as a uh, uh, nitrogen uh, additive to the garden beds where do you get crab meal from
1: yeah well uh, uh and it's also a phosphorus uh, addition uh you know and we suggested to her down to earth and and she wrote back, and she's you know down to earth yeah they they sell some stuff it's crab meal but it has a formulation of four three zero where do i find just straight crab meal hey, hey linda guess what Everything has those numbers. You have those numbers. Uh, it's, it's crab meal. even It doesn't matter
0: what it's called.
1: Right. right. It's 430. It's still, it's crab meal. Uh, and that's what it is. The bat, bat guano, uh, again, there's two kinds. The down-to-earth 731, same, same answer. Uh, you can have different kinds of it. You might not need, and, and here was the question here. She, she was curious that she didn't need the end. So, so you know, you can't have too much end. It just isn't used. That's, (laughs) and, 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 or if it's, it's, it's used by microbes that store it in their body. So it's going to be okay that you get something uh, that, that's got numbers uh, that aren't exactly what you want, but contain the main number that you do want. And in this instance, it was the uh, uh, phosphorus that she needed in both the crab meal, uh, and, and that down to earth has. As as well as the bat guano has a good source of that.
0: I also loved the uh, little little barb she got into us, which was pretty clever. She said she doesn't have a cave nearby for bat guano.
1: <laughs> no, she doesn't. But it'll be cave-like soon enough here in dark right. Anchorage, Alaska. Oh my gosh, I forgot.
0: Linda also pointed out that uh, her class last year experimented with growing uh, potatoes in straw. I can't believe uh, we should. This should be a much bigger deal. Maybe I shouldn't. I should be saving this for a big reveal. Your Kodiak friend, whose name es- escapes me right now, yeah, Marianne
1: Owen, yeah,
0: Marianne, who grew uh, potatoes in leaves and and sticks. I had an amazing harvest of potatoes from my pot that had nothing but leaves and sticks this year it was incredible
1: yeah i never use soil i always use leaves and sticks uh mostly leaves but the sticks get thrown in there because they're part of it it makes so much sense to do that and now you've got some pre-composted leaves
0: oh my gosh it was incredible Uh, loved it yeah Yeah. i had a a great combination i had a couple slimy ones just because it got really wet there for a couple of weeks at the bottom but i think they did as well, or maybe even better, it had a different variety, but maybe even a little bit better than some of the the pots I've been doing for years. Um, and we didn't have a particularly good potato year in these
1: parts. You know what I, I also like about the idea is is that you don't have to mess around with pH. You know, potatoes right, like a, to work, a exactly, lower yeah. pH, and every time you you know you can't where do I, I plant potatoes next year and all, year that, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, you just use leaves, and and next year you get a new set of leaves it's it's the right pH again. So yeah, it's-
0: a, Oh, I have a whole pile already that I've set aside just for my potatoes next year.
1: Excellent, excellent. And folks who are listening should also remember they need to gather up some leaves. People are putting them on their lawns in plastic bags for you. If the dogs are gone, then you can go get the leaves and you don't want to take leaves from a dog lawn anyway, but you take those bags and make sure you've got extra ones so that in the middle of the next summer, when there are no leaves on the ground, because they've all been decayed by the soil food web, you've got leaves to add in with your grass clippings that you're not supposed to pick up anyway to make good compost.
0: There you go. All right, we'll leave it there. It's a good time to start thinking about moving your green thumb inside. Keep it green all winter, but move it inside because pretty soon up here, you'll get frostbite if you don't.
1: Right. And I know I know that next week's show, we're going to have to talk a little bit about how do you handle some of the uh, soil food web critters that get moved in with a compost that you don't necessarily want in your house plants only because they do strange things in the house?
0: All right, Jeff, we'll talk to you next week, everyone. Don't forget, wherever you listen to podcasts, go on, give us a rating if you have the time or inclination. And uh, please send us your questions, at me.com, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teeming with Microbes. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show. And don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing. As always, thanks for listening to me and Jeff on this podcast. We're brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers.